everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for May 13th, 2015. And today's topic is all about coaching and a particular strategy called the success formula. Now, if you're listening live, I'd like to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. It's really easy. Here's how you can do it. The best way probably is to email me, though, at brian at benchmarkportal.com, and that's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Now, if you're listening on the phone and like to call in and ask a question online, you can do that, too. The phone number to call is 347 857 3117. Make sure to press the one on your phone to let me know you have a question and I'll get you right in. The phone number real quick again, 347-857-3117. Now, I'd also like to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at any time is good for you and it's easy. Go to our website, benchmarkportal.com and then click on Call Talk. We have an archive full of many, many different topics and shows that hopefully will help you be able to manage your contact center even more efficiently and effectively. So at this point, let's jump right into the show and let me introduce the host of Call Talk, Mr. Bruce Belfiore. Well, thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. As most of our audience knows, Call Talk is a non-commercial service of Benchmark Portal to our community. And what we do is to take on hot-button issues of interest to contact center managers and present them without the intervention of sponsors so that we can get right to the heart of the important topics with industry-leading guests. And my guest today is somebody I'm really happy to welcome, Dave Gregory of Alorica. How are you doing today, Dave? Bruce, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, great. You know, this this coaching is a key uh, component really throughout our lives. And as Vince Lombardi once said, coaching is really teaching. And uh, being teachers is something that we as call center managers need to do and uh, to, to try to be really good at it. And, uh, Dave, you know, you're the Director of Management Training and Leadership Development for Alorica, which is one of the world's premier call center outsourcing companies. And, uh your team supports more than 4,800 leaders who in turn support more than 48,000 contact center associates in over 73 sites around the world. I mean, this is a, a huge operation that you're with. And I know that you've been focusing on creating positive change that aligns behaviors with the strategic vision. And uh, I know that your team also uh, has delivered measurable results in, in various industries, including financial services, healthcare, telecommunications, entertainment, hospitality, and other industry verticals. And uh, I noted, too, that you indicated you had uh, realized over almost $67 million in attrition savings. So that's keeping people and keeping them happy. That's a big, big thing for call centers. And experienced uh, $90 million incremental revenue generation. So that's top-line stuff. And uh, so your return on investment just has been spectacular. And with over 25 years of experience in the call center industry, I, I know that you've held positions in nearly every aspect of the contact center, uh, workforce management, operations, training, human resources, uh, you know, dedicated to delivering measurable results. So, uh, Dave, we're really happy to have you on the program. And uh, with all the varied experience that you've had, how did you end up with coaching leaders in the contact center business as your center of focus? You know, Bruce, it's a question I ask myself often is how did I end up where I'm at? You know, I think like most people uh, in sixth grade, when they ask you, what do you want to do for a living? 
I don't think any of us raised our hand and said, hey, I want to be in the contact center business. But, uh, you know, after 25 years and and lots of different positions in the contact center business, uh, I love what I do, and I get a chance to get up every day knowing that I'm going to go to work and have a chance to help people. And I think that's one of the things that really got me into coaching. One of the things I witnessed as a rep, which is where I started in the contact center business so many years ago, was a lot of authoritarian coaches and I thought there had to be a better way to help people find success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's great. And the fact that you have that frontline experience in back of you is so key because you know how it felt from the other side, and you can put yourself in that position. Uh, so recognizing the importance of engagement in the contact center is so important. And you know that uh, at Benchmark Portal, we help organizations measure the engagement that they have with their people. And so could you describe the idea of coaching to discretionary effort? This is uh, very, very interesting and I think important for our listeners to understand what you mean by discretionary effort. Well, Bruce, in my opinion, this idea of discretionary effort is really what engagement is all about. So whether it's internal or external, customer engagement is one of the ways I like to think about it. Getting people to want to do more is really what we're describing when we talk about discretionary effort. Right, because they're using their own discretion to want to be better agents, right? That's what you're really trying to get at. That's exactly what we're getting at. Right, and it's sort of like what we do with our with our peers, with our friends, with our kids, all that kind of stuff, trying to get them on board for something. And it's one thing to sort of have a top-down authoritarian approach. It's a totally different thing. It feels so different when, in fact, they want to do it and, uh, you know, have fun doing it. So, so tell us how you coach to this discretionary effort. Yeah, when we think about moving people towards wanting to do more, that is all about behavior change. So one of the pieces we wanted to really develop was a way that we could identify that for people. And the process we came up with, we call the success formula. And mm-hmm. I like to say it's the simplest idea in the world. Um, basically what I do is I use a formula to describe it. And it sounds like this. If you would think of a parentheses and you have A for attitude, and then you add S for skill, and then you add K for knowledge, and you kind of close that parenthesis, so you have A plus S plus K, then you Uh also have to add goal setting to that piece. And that's what really creates what I call positive behavior change. So the formula itself is A plus S plus K plus goal setting equals positive behavior change. And that's what leads us to be able to improve results. So when we think of attitude and we think of skill and we think of knowledge, when, when we're very focused on that area, that's when we're doing an assessment of someone. When I think of a behavior I need them to change to improve their result, I look at what do they know about that behavior? Do they know why it's important? Can they define it, for example? What kind of skill do they have when it comes to that specific behavior? Can they actually demonstrate it? More importantly, can they demonstrate it in a live environment? And then the attitude question is a little bit different, um, but it isn't what's their attitude towards life in general, which we all know is somewhat important. It's more specific. What's their attitude towards demonstrating this particular behavior until it becomes a habit? 
And that's the piece I think we often miss in our call centers. No, I, I think so, too. And so, really, the A plus S plus K, the ask, which is the attitude, okay, which is uh, sort of the internal feeling that the uh, agent has, the S for skill, which is the objective ability to complete tasks that are necessary, and K for knowledge, and knowledge is oftentimes, uh, that goes beyond the skills. It's uh, sort of the uh, background somebody has, so they're able to actually use the discretion in a, in a in a positive way for the company instead of uh, creating problems for the company. Uh, the great, great little formula there, ASK plus goal setting. I think uh, that's a, a real takeaway for the listeners for this show. So thank you very much for uh, sharing that. And, and how do you go about identifying the behaviors which de- drive the results that you're looking for? Yeah, to me, Bruce, this is the most important part. You know, we, we see a lot of people who continue to do the same thing over and over, and they expect to get a different result. And, and we know that just doesn't happen. So identifying behaviors which drive different metrics, and we know how important metrics are in our business. What, what we're really going to focus on is, for example, in an average handling time metric, what are the behaviors that someone should be demonstrating that drive that metric? Then we have to do that assessment of which things are they doing well and which things are they not demonstrating at all and which behaviors might they be trying to demonstrate, but they're not demonstrating them in what we like to call a best practice method or or they're not demonstrating it exactly correctly. We have quality assurance forms in all of our contact centers, right? Everybody has some type of QA form. And that identifies a lot of behaviors for us. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it doesn't go no, all the not, way, right? Yep, that's right. That's right. And it needs to go beyond that, right? Yeah, it really does. So what we do is we use a, a method we call disaggregation, and it's really how do we start breaking apart that metric. Hmm. Okay, so we've got discretionary effort and disaggregation. Your name is Dave. I'm seeing a pattern here, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, Bruce. It has to be easy for me to remember. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about disaggregation. That's a, a fascinating uh, concept there. How do you disaggregate and uh, re-aggregate or make it so that it's uh, useful and, and brings results? You bet. So disaggregation is really just about how do we kind of pull things apart. So when I think of a particular metric, whether it's sales results or average handling time, whatever it might be, I start looking at those behaviors. So as an example, in average handling time, we might say, how well does the person control the call? That's at a higher level behavior. We know that controlling the call is important to the average handling time metric, but then we have to start breaking controlling the call into smaller component parts, such as what kind of questions are they asking? to control the call. Do they understand the impact of open-ended questions? Do they understand the impact that a closed-ended question might have? Then we might break those things down into smaller component parts, such as if I ask an open-ended question, what question am I I asking that's open-ended, and do I understand what information it is that I'm trying to get the person to share with me? So is there a strategy to that? Same thing with closed-ended. As I continue to break that down, It allows me to sort of get to where I'm going. By doing this, we actually train a method that we like to call the five whys, right? It it sort of comes from 
some Six Sigma quality lessons that many people are familiar with, but that yes. five wide technique is really important. Mm -hmm. Please take us it's, through that because I think that would be very interesting for our listeners to hear. Yeah, so as you think about what we train in, in Six Sigma, right, it's define, measure, analyze, improve, and control is sort of the methodology that Six Sigma teaches. We've taken that methodology and tried to make it a little simpler, and it's by simply really going in and starting to look at asking why. So if someone is looking at, for example, um, why they do demonstrate a particular behavior, I might ask, why do you do that? They'll give me their answer, and I'll ask again, so why do you do that? And as you take that person through that technique, what you're going to uncover most times by the fifth why is really what is the root cause of the problem that you might be facing. And that might be focus, or it might be attention to detail. It might be their ability to think proactively. And then you really have an understanding of what behavior should I be coaching in order to help the person improve the metric that they need to improve. Mm, okay, so really you use this to break things down using the five whys uh, to not be annoying, although it may be annoying <laughs> for some of the people who you keep on asking why, why, why to, right? It's sort of like uh, the uh, three-year-olds that we all have uh, probably encountered in the past. But, you know, you ask the why to help identify the behavior to coach. In other words, uh, it's part of the discovery process. Here's another D there for you, Dave, a discovery process uh, that allows you to identify those those behaviors that you need to coach. Can, could you share some more benefits of the uh, the five whys? Yeah, you know, one of the benefits we really find is when I get down to that identifying the root cause of the problem, It's when I solve that root cause, it's probably going to impact more than one metric. So oftentimes mm -hmm. you can fix several things that might be impacting someone's results by dealing with the root cause. So that's one of the huge benefits we find. We also find that um, one of the other benefits is through having that conversation with someone, they become more self-aware of what it is mm -hmm. that they're actually doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just to bring it down to a situation that somebody might uh, face in the call center a lot is a situation where you have a an average speed of answer that's not good, and you also have an average um, time in queue that's not good. And uh, you do some re root cause analysis of your whole call end-to-end system uh, by using the, the Ys and the Six Sigma approach, and you find out that, in fact, uh, just to take something easy, your call closure really is not very good and um, that you could, in fact, be much more efficient with the call closure and still get good uh, satisfaction from customers. And at the end of the day, that would bring down your average talk time, and therefore your average handle time, bring that, increase your, your ability to handle more calls uh, because of that, and so therefore your average speed of answer would improve. Uh, what you're saying is that oftentimes by getting to a root cause, uh, there could be something as simple as call closure or something more complex, such as your knowledge management system is not serving your agents well, and therefore they have to take too much time to find the answers. Uh, but once you get to that root cause, you can, in fact, have a beneficial impact on a number of your metrics. That's exactly right, Bruce. One of the things that we know 
that goes back to this idea of how do we create more discretionary effort. When I can approach someone in a method where I'm not telling them that what they're doing is wrong, right? What I see so often in call centers, and this is the culture piece that we really try to help people change, is if I'm just going it and sort of doing the whack-a-mole coaching where, you know, hey, you're doing this wrong, and you hit them on the head, um, it, it doesn't work to change behavior. So by helping them analyze what behavior are they demonstrating, that helps the person see, and that's that self-awareness piece I was just speaking about, what is it that I need to change personally in order to help impact my results? Because I'm a firm believer people don't go to work wanting to do a bad job. Most people show up every day hoping that they're going to be successful, and oftentimes they just don't know what it is to fix to get better results. And by doing this, the coach really helps them. That creates more effort on that person's part. Right. Okay. This is this is great stuff. Let, let's. Uh, could we structure this a little bit more for our listeners? Uh, in other words, uh, how do you recommend somebody complete the five whys and, and put it into a, a process? Yeah. So we have a very specific way that we recommend people do that. And the first step, of course, is to write down what the specific problem is. So when we're writing that issue out, it really helps you formalize the problem and describe it more completely. And it also helps the team. That team might be just you and your agent. It might be you working with your ops manager to try to determine what's going on with my team overall. But it helps you focus on what the problem really is. So that's step one, write it down. Step two is ask why the problem happens. And really it's that effort that you'll put in to discover why is my team doing this. Oftentimes what we find is it might be something as simple as communication. We didn't communicate a new process effectively enough. The third step that we use is if the answer that you just provided doesn't identify the root cause of the problem that you wrote down in step one, then you have to ask why again, and you're going to write that answer down. And you continue to loop back then to this step three until the team is in agreement that the problem's root cause has been identified. Again, this might take fewer or more times than five whys, but by doing it a number of times over and over, you're going to come to what is really that root cause issue that we have to mm -hmm. deal with. Okay. Okay, I love it. So can you share a couple of uh, specific examples with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So let's think about a problem statement, right? And, and the example here would be customers are unhappy because they're being shipped products that don't meet their specifications. Mm -hmm. So okay. we ask the first question, why are customers being shipped bad products? And one of the reasons that we might come up with is because manufacturing built the products to a specification that's different from what the customer and the salesperson agreed to. Mm. So we might ask a second question then, which is, why did manufacturing build the products to a different specification than that of sales? And mm -hmm. as we start digging into why that happened, it could be because the salesperson expedites work on the shop floor by calling the head of manufacturing directly to begin the work, and an error happened when the specifications were being communicated or written down. Good one. Which, okay, keep going. Yeah, it brings us sort of that third why then, which is why does the salesperson call the head of manufacturing directly to start work instead of following the procedure that we had established 
that we should all be following? And when we think of that possible answer, it could be because the start work form requires the sales director's approval before work can begin and slows the manufacturing process or stops it if the director's out of the office. Which might bring us to our fourth question, which would be why does the form contain an approval from the sales director? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the answer might be because the sales director needs to be continually updated on sales for discussions with the CEO. Right. Right. Okay. So we got we got up to four this time. Yeah, we got up to four. And if you think about <laughs> it, you know, that that four things really kind of helps us find out, you know, that a non value added signature authority is helping to cause a process breakdown. And, you know, another thing comes in here, and it's one of the things that I've been uh, preaching for a long time, and that is that call center managers need to be sure that they think radially and they build radial uh, organizations. So what I mean by that is there may be some of our listeners who are saying, hmm, well, that's all manufacturing's business, right? No, it's our business, too. We are the eyes and the ears uh, of the market. We get the input that comes into us. And uh, our job is going to be a lot easier if those products that are shipped are the right products that meet the right specifications, et cetera. And um, so we need to consider ourselves part of the organization. We need to make sure that we have uh, communications uh, channels to other parts of the organization that actually have an impact on what we do and we have an impact on them and make sure that we're communicating well with them. So uh, the the digging that you're talking about uh, can be something that helps us understand where we're falling down in the call center, but also where the organization is falling down, and we can be part of uh, a process that uh, that eliminates those those issues. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree with that, Bruce. And it's really to me, it's an important thing for us to be thinking of when you're training leaders, right? When you think of that frontline supervisor, to me, that person has to be a leader. And in order for them to truly lead, it includes them being able to do that problem or what we might call situational analysis. And many of the leaders in our industry, they don't have that background before they're promoted. Usually they're great individual contributors, and that's when we select them to become a supervisor. And without mm-hmm. training them how to think this way and do these processes, we can't expect that we can sprinkle holy water on them and send them out, and they're going to be able to do it, right? Yeah. They actually have yeah. to learn how to do it. Oh, yeah. And I've said many times that really the supervisors are the key to a happy center because uh, if they're good coaches, uh, good mentors, uh, really knowledgeable uh, happy themselves, then uh, the customers will end up happy, the agents will end up happy, and uh, the shareholders will end up happy. <laughs> Everybody will be happy if uh, that linchpin is uh, is is really covered. So, so once you've nailed down the behavior, then what's next, Dave? Yeah, and you know, I think it's very interesting what you just shared there as well, Bruce, because it kind of goes to a piece that I like to talk about that um, comes from a Gallup book, uh, and, and it's called the the S path is what we, we term it, and that's, I think, what they call it in the book. And um, the name of the book, by the way, is Follow This Path by Gabri- Gabriela Gonzalez-Molina and Kirk Kaufman. Uh, Kirk Kaufman also wrote the book with Marcus Buckingham called Now Break All the Rules that many people are probably familiar with. In, mm-hmm. in Follow This Path, they describe just what you said. You have to have 
people who are the right fit. You have to know what their strengths are. Then you have to have great managers, right? And when you think about creating great managers, great managers are people who create more engagement in their employees. And those employees then create engagement in the people that they talk to. And that great engagement leads to more sustainable results because they're going to get more sales with loyal customers. That leads to increased profit and eventually the increase in shareholder value that every CEO of a publicly traded or privately held company is looking for, right? So it all it all is linked together. When we think of the success formula, we like to link to that as well. And the way that we link to that is how do I become a great manager and, mm-hmm. and, and a great leader? And in order to do that, you have to understand that first part of assessing what is the problem. So once I've assessed the problem, then I have to use goal planning in order to really be able to implement the change with the person that I'm coaching. So when mm, you think okay. about In fact, I, I wanted to ask you about that. The uh, How yeah. does the goal planning, which was the additional part of the formula, come into the equation? Yeah, perfect. Um, I, I say there's eight steps to that, right? The first one is to establish the behavior or goal, and we talked about how we do that. Then we want to talk about attitude. We also want to make sure, and again, that attitude, by the way, is how do they feel about making this change? Are they willing to do this until it becomes a habit? And then we really want to review what we call rewards and consequences. And those rewards and consequences have to be personalized for the person that you're coaching. These aren't the corporate rewards of getting a paycheck or getting a bonus or the consequence of being disciplined or ultimately being fired. It's really what's in it for me as the employee. What's the reward that I'm seeking? What's my motivation, extrinsic or intrinsic as it may be? Then we have to also talk about what are the obstacles that keep me from performing this behavior or this task today? What are the solutions that I can implement to help me with overcoming that? And then we have to create action steps. And then the final step of the process is we have to share affirmations with that person that I'm coaching. So once they start implementing it and I see them demonstrate the behavior properly, I need to go back and praise and recognize the effort that they're making. Yeah, yeah. Okay, these are all really good things and uh, great insights. And and what I love about this is that you're bringing together, Dave, a lot of experience, uh, some really uh, cogent concepts, but also process and structure so that uh, people can actually take away things and do stuff with the information that they've learned on today's show. So uh, with that, we're we're heading toward the bottom of the hour, and I'd like to – Turn things over to Brian because I noticed he has some questions. Uh, Brian? Yeah, I sure do. Um, the first one I have uh, is, is the 5Y process kind of like uh, reverse butterfly effect? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I know the reverse butterfly effect. Um, I think we're coming up with it now. <laughs> yeah. So, the, the, you know, the 5Ys to me, the, the key to doing it properly is having a conversation with the person that you're coaching or with the team that you're working through the issue with so that people really feel that they can be very honest about why it is that they're doing what they're doing. If you haven't built that relationship enough where they feel comfortable doing that, then that process can break down. And usually what what happens is you end up with the supervisor doing more telling 
um, than doing more coaching. And, and it really, you have to understand where that person is from a readiness level to be able to demonstrate that behavior. And we have different ways that we train those different techniques. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's just a term I just came up with, so that's probably not a real <laughs> term, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, every little bit you know, makes a difference in the end. But uh, Dale has a, a real question, and uh, he's asked, I've used the coaching to behaviors process in the past and found people will not be focused on the metric that they need to achieve, and that is bad for our business. How do you reconcile this fact in your process? Yeah, I've seen this happen a lot where a lot of times people try to focus only on the behavior, and and that doesn't work. What I hope people recognize in the success formula that we shared is attitude plus skills plus knowledge and then adding goal planning to that creates positive behavior change. But that's what leads to results, and the result is the metric. So in this formula, we're not leaving out the conversation around the metric. In fact, we start with the conversation around the metric because it's important for the person to know why is it that I'm trying to change my behavior. The reason you're trying to change your behavior is to improve the result of that particular metric, whether you're not meeting the standard or maybe you're meeting the standard, but you're trying to excel because you're giving more discretionary effort in that area, you have to focus on both. Behaviors drive metrics. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and actually when those behaviors drive the metrics and the metrics improve, then that's where you can celebrate. Everybody can see the uh, impact of what they they put their effort into. And uh, I would think that would help with the discretionary part too because at that point you uh, understand your path towards success and you keep pushing that advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I've got a couple more I want to get to uh, since we have just a little bit more time. This one comes from David, and uh, time is not always on our side, as we all probably know, and so this is a fair question. Your process sounds nice, but with our office being so busy, I don't see how we could fit in individual assessments for every agent like this. Any ideas for us? Yeah, the first thing I'd like to do is encourage you to, to think about how long your coaching sessions are today. What I often find is a lot of agents have very long coaching sessions. And if there's no process in place for how you do this, then oftentimes what people end up doing is they do what they saw other people do before them. And I see a lot of coaching where it's side by side. They listen to an entire call. I bring you to my desk. I listen to a call. I coach you on the entire call. And I send you back to your desk to now go perform all the things I just talked to you about. That usually doesn't work for most people. That might take 30 minutes or longer to do a session. What I'm talking about, the success formula process, when it's executed perfectly, it takes anywhere from five to eight minutes to do a coaching Mm. session. So you actually save time through the preparation. And once you have everyone on your team understanding the formula itself, they will actually be coming to you to say, hey, I need help with this particular behavior because I can see where I'm not demonstrating it appropriately now. Okay, so there's a, there's a way that we could definitely manage the process to make the time more easy to fit into our schedule. So that's good advice, okay, if it's done properly, like you said. Uh, the last one comes from Heather, and it almost sounds like a little bit of a challenge. Uh, and she's asking, agents need to be held accountable, and talking to them about their behavior sounds really soft. They need to be held accountable to their results. Anything less doesn't work in my experience. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I, 
I appreciate her perspective. Um, you know, accountability to me is a critical step in goal setting. So I encourage Heather and the other people who might feel this way to think about this. How well is your current coaching process really working? I often hear contact center managers and supervisors talking about being too busy to coach or needing to improve results, but not really talking to the people about how they improve those results. So it's one thing to go to somebody and say, hey, your average handling time is 400 seconds. You're supposed to be at 360. You need to get that fixed. Well, if I don't know how to fix it, I'm not going to improve my results. Um, So talking only about results doesn't work either. This is so important, Dave, so important. And this is where the combination of ingredients that you put together here from experience, the concepts, which are, you know, based on really good principles, processes, structure, uh, and then measurements to go along with that, all those things, uh, many of which come from the Six Sigma background, are are things that, uh, you know, lead to the results that, that, that we're all looking for. So um, that's great. I mean, unfortunately, we've run out of time. In fact, we've gone a little bit over it, but it's been more than worthwhile. I'd like to thank you very much for being on Call Talk and uh, sharing your experience and your uh, your suggestions. Uh, really good stuff. I think that our listeners have uh, some ideas that they can bring back to their call centers and implement to, to make them better. So thank you very much for that. Thanks for having me, Bruce and Brian. Appreciate it. Okay, great. Well, with that, I'll turn things over to uh, Brian, and uh, we'll finish things up. Sounds good. Well, uh, thank you, Bruce Belfiore, our host of Call Talk, and, uh, of course, our special guest today, Dave Gregory. What a great show this was, a lot of take-homes. Hopefully that will help you uh, manage your contact center and give you new perspective on coaching and uh, different ways to go about it. Also want to remind you that we have plenty of these shows in our archive at BenchmarkPortal.com. Tons of different topics for you to listen to anytime that's a, a good for you. So we also have uh, a free reality check benchmark report to see how your company or center compares to others in the industry. Check that out as well. So from all of us here at Benchmark Portal, Brian Carrington. Have a good day.